folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we're going to finish up the second half of a two-parter that we started back with episode 30. If you're just joining us today, you're definitely going to want to go back and start with episode 30, or you'll be completely lost. Absolutely going to want to go back and start with episode 30. So we're going to rewind about 20 seconds from where we left off, and without further ado, here is part two. No, you're absolutely right. Trump hasn't been civil since he entered the political arena, if if he ever has been in his entire <laughs> life, to be honest with you. And and this old maxim, you know, that, that we need to fight fire with fire, my question is, if you are matching the ugliness and instability of Donald Trump, what are you achieving in the bigger picture? I mean, so we just, you know, we just talked about Reed and McConnell locking the Senate into this like death spiral of you did it first. So now I'm going to do it worse, you know, and, and, and it's like one upsmanship. And meanwhile, they're destroying the Senate. You're, you're not gaining anything. And I think it's the same thing with Trump. What does matching Trump mean for the country besides the slippery slopes and the unintended consequences that, you know, all that stuff can lead to? It means that he won. It means that he has reshaped politics in this country in his own image. It means that the Trump presidency isn't going to be this little hiccup that we all experienced in our, our messy march towards progress and then we overcame, but it's going to be the, the first shot in the fall of America. I mean, if, if we descend to that level. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because in, in kind of watching the Trump presidency, I think that the court so far has done a pretty good job of keeping him in line with the Constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they pushed back on, on the travel ban um, mm-hmm. and got that squared to the Constitution. Um, it's almost like the system was put together for the purpose of, you know, I don't know, checking and balancing executive power so that one crazy election couldn't spin us off into some crazy course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for some reason, we're abandoning all of those checks and balances in the rush to fix things. And and Congress is is absolutely shitting the bed. Yeah. Granted, they've been doing that as, as long as I can remember. Uh, maybe we need some, I don't know, term limits <laughs> for these people. Yeah. Um, but you've got you've got Mr. Fix It with the stroke of your pen Schumer going, yeah. Oh, Mr. President, just sign an executive order and end the policy. Yeah. yeah. None of us need to do our jobs. No, and it's because it's and he actually I think he almost exactly said that it's you know, Trump started it. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we're, we're at these petty, childish, you know, tactics. And at some point, somebody's got to stand up and say, stop. Just uh, enough is enough. Like, you, you have to set the example and, and lead by example. So, you know, McConnell, uh, like I said, he should have reinstituted the filibuster rule. You don't you don't just run with that. Uh, right now, the Democrats, they they need to have a fair hearing mm. for whoever Trump's appointee is. We have to return to that normalcy instead of letting someone misshape the way our country works and then saying, well, I guess that's just the way it is now. I mean, think about that for a second. We say all the time, Democrats say all the time that what Trump does, that's not who we are. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, We're not those people. You know, that's not what America is. And yet now you want to turn around and emulate him. 
now because you know he's over there making fun of people who are handicapped he's he's over there saying you know awful things about uh you know what did he say about mika from morning joe talking about her facelift and you want to match that level of hostility right well then again he just said let's suspend due process for ice proceedings yeah so so what have we become at that point i think you know it's it's a little much to say that you got to kill him with kindness but you do have to set that standard. You do have to set that bar. You do have to say, this is how it's supposed to work. And I'm going to show you. And then let us, the people choose between the two of you. You right. don't stoop to his damn level. Right. It, yeah. It, it creates a, a dumpster fire full of grease, man. Yeah. And the interesting thing though, I think that, that the left feels like that's exactly what they're doing, right? They're saying, stop, we're throwing our bodies on the cogs of the machine. Uh, in any way we can. So when Ma- Maxine Waters is saying, um, is saying, you know, show them they're not welcome anywhere. Yeah. Um, I think that is them trying to say stop. But again, it's like a straw man version of reality. They're saying stop at the wrong things. Right. They're saying stop it at allowing Sarah Huckabee Sanders to have a meal. Yeah. And and that's not where we're losing the battle. Right. We're not losing the battle on Sarah Huckabee's personal time. We're losing the battle in Congress. We're losing the battle in courts. We're losing the battle in policy. We're losing the battle in hearts and minds. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's, and and that's not how you fight for hearts and minds to me in civilly is not how you, how you fight for hearts and minds. You fight for hearts and minds by connecting on a personal and human level. And all of the responses from both sides are, are fighting that they're pushing they're pushing that human connection aside. And I don't know, I don't know if it's social media. You know, I don't know if it's just an overall level of contempt and disgust at the system. Um, I don't know if it's if it's the racism. I don't know if it's the idea that that blacks are being killed by cops. You know, all these things are terrible and they're and they're pushing us towards just throwing our hands up and being fed up. Yeah. You know, but but that's not the way that this shit works. Right. That's not the way that's the way the shit crumbles. And I I think I think to your point, like we look at the things that we are glossing over, you know, it's like you said, the checks and balances system, the the human connections and stuff. We gloss right over those things. For instance, Michael Moore, you know, was on a a late night talk show the other day and they were asking him about this very thing about dropping civility. And he said, uh, you're you're throwing their bodies on the cogs reminded me of this because he was like, no, 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 we, we shouldn't get violent. We shouldn't get violent, but we have to understand that we've reached the point where we have to put our bodies on the line for And that kind of, that cued me into that democratic mind state, you know, the, the, where they're at right now is there, you know, we have to risk ourselves. We have to risk our lives. And I understand that. I understand that heightened sense of, of urgency. Well, I think when you're shown, pictures of 200 protesters in Charlottesville carrying AKs, yeah. that very much becomes your reality, right? Uh-huh. You start to picture the Republican apparatus as, as you know, marching in the streets with torches saying, you know, hang black people carrying AK-47s. Right. Like that very quickly swallows your worldview. And that's why it's important. That's why I personally am so passionate in in pulling back from that, because I think that that's far over exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, absolutely, racism is a problem. Absolutely, those Charlottesville pro- protesters are a problem. But you've got people like Kanye going, "Hey, reach out to the Charlottesville protesters," and then you've got people like the woman who made this documentary going, "Hey, I reached out 
to these Charlottesville protesters and changed their hearts and minds, right. and we're ignoring them. Yeah, no. and, and in fact, not only ignoring them, but we're shutting Kanye out of the conversation as an Uncle Tom. Yeah, like look at who's making progress here, and look at who's not. Right. No, that's that's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Democratic Party, do you think anyone is is swinging over? From from the Republican side of the fence over to the Democrats right now? No. No, I see hashtag walk away no. trending on Twitter. People leaving the Democratic Party, and maybe not in droves, but enough of them for it to be significant. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you think that that Maxine Waters and 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 treating uh Miss Sanders as an enemy is ever going to allow her to come away from her position? No, no, I don't think so. I think uh, we've talked about it before. Once you start insulting someone, you've you've lost. You've yeah. lost the argument. It's well, done. Well, no, I would I would go back to you know what I just said about the the senators with the death spiral. It's a death spiral. One side causes the very anguish and grief that causes the other side to come back and cause anguish and grief on that side. You know, so uh, Sanders is reentrenched in her beliefs that the left has lost its mind because they won't even let her eat a meal. That's right. You know, but I, as, as much as I say that, like, I feel like nobody knows what to do because everyone thinks that the consequences are just dire. Nazi internment and, camps. And, well, and I don't think it's just on the left. I think it's on the right as well. You, you, you have to remember the right for 30 years has felt like the culture has abandoned them, mm. that the news media has abandoned them. You, you take that and you couple it with now blanket accusations of white supremacy and, and racism, if you hold conservative ideals, I mean, we're to the point now where like it's it's pretty much if you have conservative ideas, you're a bad guy. You're a bad guy. Yeah, and and that and you very much so are the villains. I mean, you and I just admitted that we felt like that since we were children. So the right's <laughs> been dealing with this for something like thirty years yeah. at least. Yeah, no question. And so of course that they think the situation is dire. They're they're they've been operating under that assumption and making choices under that assumption, and that has led to some of the extremism in their decisions, obstructing Obama, uh, you know, fighting tooth and nail for things, you know. And I'm, and to be absolutely fair, um, I think I think that the Republican Party needs to own some of the dastardly things that they've done. I think hmm. I think the Republican Party has been allied with uh with extreme right-wing Christian organizations that are absolutely atrocious and detestable. I think it's their job to to kind of clear the air there. If they don't want that label, the same way we ask the incels to push out the extremists in their communities, I think the mm. Republican Party needs to address the the fact that the Westboro Baptist Church has has considered itself a a Republican leaning organization. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um <clears throat> well that's that's the problem with the argument that the right's trying to make. Like, so now they're saying, you know, we've been on the outside looking in, you know, you're isolating us, you know, we, it's, it's not okay to be us, you know, anymore. And I I look at them and I say, I hear you right wingers. It really sucks to be judged as a group, doesn't it? You're you're not getting judged (laughs) on your individual merits and people are making assumptions on you. I, I feel terrible for you. How about you realize that what you're up against is a coalition of groups that have felt like that since the founding of the country. And and feel like you're the ones oppressing them directly. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think we're trending towards that not being the case. And I, I think 
that if we turn around and we treat conservatives that way, that that's definitely a step backwards. But but right, you have to acknowledge context and, and look at it fairly. How you can't see that you're upset about the very way that that your you know traditionally white conservatives have treated everyone else in this country for the last two hundred years is a little ridiculous. Yeah, man. you need laughable. some introspection, bro. Right. You know. What I'm saying? And if anything, I feel like I feel like they, this could be a learning point. You know, in much the same way I joke about SJWs teaching me what a microaggression is yeah. by by using them against white males so often <laughs> yeah, yeah. like like and, and I'm and I'm dead serious about that I didn't really understand what a microaggression was until a group of people online were were talking about you know training white people like dogs mm-hmm. like and it, and it struck me I was like oh shit well that's a microaggression oh wait there's one they're yeah. they're totally othering me based on my whiteness you know it was like an aha moment like so this is what the other side deals with so for the for the right not to take this in as a learning moment and go wait a second there are people who are treating me different because I'm white and conservative and this is exactly why I shouldn't do it to other people yeah. like we're we're missing we're missing the entire point yeah. if that's not if that's not what's happening and i think also that that doesn't give you license like so so the broader point is even though you do feel like it's dire even though you do feel like you're under assault from the, you know the rest of the country or the left or, or however it is you choose to define it, that doesn't give you license to be an asshole. It doesn't give you license to double down and do the exact things that you've been accused of. Again, to go back one more time to McConnell and Reed, because I think it's a perfect metaphor, simply because Reed and the mean old Democrats did it to you, McConnell, that does not give you license to be like, well, how can I break the Senate? Right. You know, it, it, you do that, and this is where we end up. It's just, it's, it, again, a death spiral. Well, and I'd like to say that it was an invitation, you know, that that understanding understanding bigotry in, in whatever form, is an invitation to come to the table and talk about it. But instead, what I see from the social justice left is this idea when a, when a white person comes into a conversation and tries to explain their white perspective, mm-hmm. they don't have a seat at the table. Yeah. The, the social justice left says, ah, just another white voice mm-hmm. trying to explain away our pain. And, and that's not the right attitude either. Yeah. Um, I feel like we ought to be able, at this point, to sit down and have conversations with each other, um, you know, on common ground. And, and, and granted, I'm not comparing the, I'll say it, racism against white people to the racism against black people because it's not on the same level. Yeah. It's not at all. We're not talking about civil rights being withheld. Again, we're not talking about wealth deprivation. We're not talking about segregation. Um, we're just talking about a baseline level of, of othering. And if and if this doesn't open the doors for a conversation, I don't know what will. And instead of opening the doors like I would hope this would do, they're being shut yeah. rapidly all over the place. They're being well, shut on social media. They're being shut in our personal no, relationships. No. Hang on, hang on. This is where I want to take it back to the point we made very early. Not necessarily. Between those two intellectual classes, sure. It, between the media, sure. Like the Huffington Post and, and National Review aren't going to go and have a meaningful conversation about it. But the cool thing is we don't need them to. That's because right. they don't. I almost I almost broke our rule and said the F-bomb. They don't mm, matter. 
right. at all. What matters is us. So can we have that conversation? And I'd say absolutely, yes, we can. We absolutely can if we stop just letting them tell us what we need to do and what we mm. need to think. And I'm not, I'm not just going in on the media here. I'm saying this, this, the academics, man, the, 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 just all these people who are having this, this uh, political argument and stuff, they are dictating the terms to the rest of us. Right. And under any other circumstances, we'd be super mad about that. But uh, we're so frenzied, we're so worked up. And, and afraid, that, I think. Yeah, that we want to defer to, you know, uh, I want to defer to Ben Shapiro because he reads about this stuff every day. Well, mm. Ben Shapiro doesn't necessarily have all the answers, man. Uh, like you I, know, I watch Ben Shapiro every now and again, and I'd say emphatically, Ben Shapiro doesn't have all the answers, <laughs> yeah, man. No, he emphatically, yeah. <laughs> but you have you have a much better chance of, you know, like I said, talking to your neighbors and, and starting that 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 coalescing ball of ground support for reasoned and, and common sense positions than you ever will with arguing with somebody randomly on Facebook on a thread on the bottom of Laura Ingram or Ann Coulter's post. I right. promise you that. Right. Because that, that place is, it's a hive of scum and villainy. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like YouTube comments. Like you just, you got to stay out of those places because all they are are people who completely buy into the idea that this is a game. Right. That's at the end of the day, they think this is a game in much the same way those two intellectual classes do, because that that is all it it's, is. To it's them. sparring for them. Yeah, exactly. For us, it's the rest of our lives, and it's our kids' lives, and it's our neighbors, and it's our friends, and it's our family. Yeah. You know, I'd I'd take that point and say, in, invite Uncle Jimmy back to your barbecue. He's a Trump supporter. Invite him back, man. Have a civil conversation. If it gets a little heated, step back. Explain that it's heated. You know, stop, like explain your point of view to him, allow him to explain his point of view to you. But what that means is like understanding that his perspective might actually have some legitimacy to it. Yeah. Um, his conclusion may not. Well, but the, the dire position that again, that the left now finds themselves in, uh, they feel like they don't have time for that. And I think that the idea of how the left approaches the situation is perfectly encapsulated in uh, something that Dr. King wrote. Mm. And I'll at least say that, you know, when, when the subject comes up, this is what I'm always bombarded with. So let me, let me read a paragraph from Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Awesome. Okay? Uh, he says, first, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And what happens is in that in that paragraph, he's expressing the idea of, you know, like we, we shouldn't have to wait. You know, I, I don't have time to hold your hand and walk you through this. Uh, simply because you want to make sure that things don't get crazy. Meanwhile, my people are suffering. There's there's a sense of urgency that's being conveyed there in their paragraph, in that paragraph, and I, I understand that. And in the context of the civil rights movement, I can't 
I cannot argue with that at all. And I can't help but wonder if if maybe, you know, my contrarian streak uh, would put me in that white moderate position back yeah. there. No, I've, I've often wondered the exact same thing. I mean, you know, we like to tell ourselves, well, no, that wouldn't have been me. I, w- I would have stood up for justice. But when you look back, you know, at that time period, you know, there were only so many people who did. Only so many people made that step. So just just automatically assume that you would be the same person that you are now and look at the situation the same way. So that does make us, you know, wonder, you know, that line where he says who prefer order or who mm. are worried about order and and want to complain to our direct methods of action. That that um, rings very true for, for today's situation. I mean, you and yeah. I are the white moderate who mm-hmm. are saying, whoa, slow down, guys. We're very yeah. soon to be in a civil war. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were seeing the breakdown of the fabrics and around it's, us. It's something that I have literally questioned myself about just just about every, almost every episode of this show that we've done. Mm. You know, every, a lot of these positions that I've taken, it, it, I, I have taken Dr. King's words to heart, partially because, you know, I respect the man, and partially because that is... That is an extremely well written paragraph, you know. <laughs> but um, so I do I do have to find that balance. But the problem is, is I think that the left wants to take that and run to a bit of an extreme. Mm. So I've seen that paragraph used to defend the idea that you you can't even legislate human rights. We shouldn't we shouldn't even have this discussion. Like for instance, uh, you know, when they were deciding Obergefell in the Supreme Court, which ultimately gave uh, gay people the right to marry, mm-hmm. they, you know, the fact I remember before the decision came down, I was talking with someone and they were like, the fact that this is even in the balance is ridiculous. You know, it's it, it shouldn't even be a thing. It's a human right. You know, like it's it's one of our natural rights. Well, well, the problem is, is that you do have to legislate human rights and fr- and I'd even go further and say you have to build a consensus if you want it to last. Right. Right. I mean, you, you can go around and declare things by edict all you want to. Uh, in my opinion, you kind of did with Roe versus Wade. And now look at how you feel about that decision. Right. It's on shaky ground. What do you mean it's on shaky ground? Well, I mean, I know I hear I hear calls from the left. That's one of the that's one of the big rallying cries right behind this Supreme Court justice is, oh, my God, if they tip the scales far enough, they can overturn Roe versus Wade. Like, right. what does that what does that mean? Well, part of, I, I think that the left might, likes to make the case that if you put anybody from the right on the Supreme Court, they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade just because because of partisan you know, ideology. But it's, it's actually it's a little bit deeper than that. Roe versus Wade is sitting on some very shaky uh, legal ground. Roe versus Wade is based on a ninth. The decision is based on a 1958 case that came before the Supreme Court that was called Griswold versus Connecticut. In that case, you had. Are we Gris- going on a family vacation here? Well, we're doing we're doing a Supreme Court vacation here. <laughs> that theory loves so much. But anyway, uh, Griswold wanted to buy contraceptives, and the state of Connecticut made a law that said that single people could not buy contraceptives. Uh? That is a ridiculous law, but, you know, it's 1958 and, you know, Puritanism. What are you going to do? Yeah. So um, so Griswold fights that all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided uh, in an outcome that I'm really glad for that, that Griswold could, in fact, buy contraceptives uh, if he so choose, chose to do so. Here's, here's the problem. The way they decided it was that they said that the Constitution grants a right to privacy. 
The implication being that when I walk up and I say, I would like to buy contraceptives, you can't say, well, are you married or are you not married? I'm which, only, you know, which amendment is the right to privacy? Ah, there's the rub. See, there is no part of the Constitution that says that we have a right to privacy. You have the Fourth Amendment that protects against unreasonable search and seizure. The First Amendment says you have the right to free speech and you know freedom of religion. You can look at all these amendments and kind of get an impression that that's what they were going for. And is that what the Supreme Court did in that that's case? That's exactly what the Supreme Court did, but... Ultimately, it, it does not say that you have a right to privacy. Right. So when you say it's on shaky ground, and and, and I think you're going to connect Roe versus Wade to this case, well, but this is the shaky ground you're talking about? This is the shaky ground because in the decision for Roe versus Wade, they absolutely cited Griswold versus Connecticut and the right to privacy. Mm. So they said that when you go and you ask for an abortion, that is protected under the right to privacy that you have. Well, it's it's funny because I, I like a right to privacy. Mm -hmm. I think we deserve a right to privacy. However, if our right to privacy is enshrined in one obscure Supreme Court case, yeah. that's scary to me. Like maybe we need a constitutional amendment to cement our right to privacy. Well, and it's what speaks to my point. And, and a broader point that I've been making about the Supreme Court on this show for a while, the Supreme Court can can say those things. They can, you know, we can put a judge in there that will be like, well, if I... If I hold the Constitution up like this and I look at it sideways, I can find this right. They're using but, the Bible code. <laughs> but ultimately, that's and, – and forgive me, I don't know the, the, the number, the vote count in that decision. But let's say it was five justices. That's still five justices saying it's that way because I say so. If you want a right to privacy, the right way to do it is to legislate it mm. or to pass an amendment that says we, the American people, have a right to privacy. If we had an amendment that said that – there would be no question of Roe versus Wade being overturned because the Supreme Court wouldn't have a pot to piss in when it come to turning it over. Well, so so back up for me. How is Roe versus Wade connected to this decision? Oh, I'm sorry. They they cited the right to privacy and the right to privacy of you know was uh, established. A, yeah, a woman's you know case. her auto her body autonomy is established you know under the right to privacy. And so Griswold is where the right to privacy came to be. You I know? see. So, so I quickly see a solution becoming very clear. Like Congress, get off your butts, talk to the people. Yeah. I, I think a right to privacy would be uh, uh, <laughs> uh, bipartisan support across the board. In today's climate? When, yeah, yeah. When we're looking at social media slurping up data, we're looking at big data. I think that sets up. Uh, a framework for creating some rules mm-hmm. on how that data is used. Not only does it do that, but it solidifies, uh, you know, Roe versus Wade. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you know, what are you guys doing? So in drumming up support, you know, you're going to have a case that you're going to have to make to the right who know that you're going to use that to, to firmly entrench. You, you want to know how you do that? You say, look, Pornhub's not going to be selling your data. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you use all the other Do, benefits. Have you seen the crazy lists of like Republican states, the, the porn they look up? It's atrocious. No, no. I, I guarantee you, man, that's that's how you get to the hearts of hearts of Republicans on this issue. You say Pornhub's not going to sell your your crazy, crazy, crazy porn data. Um. Well, I, I think I think there's like I said, with with an uh, amendment that gives us the right, the right to privacy. I think there's a bevy of things that you can sell that amendment to a, a whole swath of special interest groups. Mm. And, and yeah, I don't think there would be any problem. I don't think you want to be the guy 
in today's age that stands up and says, you know what? No, Americans <laughs> don't need privacy. There's no right to privacy. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot to be said about how it would be written and stuff. Sure. But my, my larger point there is that's building consensus. That's going to each of those groups and, and treating their concerns as legitimate, like you said, with Uncle Jimmy and, and saying, hey, man, I see your concerns. Let me let me make you this counter offer. You know, let's let's see if we can get support here. Let's see if we can get support there. And now you have firmly established in the bedrock of the country a principle. It is not because five guys said it was thus. Right. You know, and, and that's so much more meaningful. If you didn't go about it that way, left, uh, you wouldn't have to worry when you did you really think you were never going to lose control of the Supreme Court? Right. Ever? Yeah, if your if your case rests on on, you know, some arcane Supreme Court decision, it's bound to be challenged at some point. It's bound to. Well, no, and actually it almost demands it, right? Because the right knows that it's on that shaky ground and they feel like they were cheated. Mm. So that's built resentment. That's what happens when you don't legislate human right because on the other side the right is going We've had to put up with with baby murdering for forty years, right? Because of this shaky, shaky decision. Yeah, so they're just they're sitting there rubbing their hands together. They're like, "Oh, let us up in there," you know. Mm. And so, is that really the way we want to run the country, man? No. Like, so now, so now the right's gonna the right's gonna undo it. Now the left's like, "Oh, let me back up in right. there," you know. Right. I mean, what have we done? <laughs> so that's you have to legislate human ping, rights. Bong, bing, <laughs> bong. Yeah, back and forth. You have to come to agreement. You have to have a consensus. Yeah, I agree with you. You do have to have a consensus and and doing it right makes it last longer. At the same time, um, you know, seeing it from the left's perspective, you're talking about children being ripped from the arms of their parents. Like, isn't that isn't that the point where the white moderate is going, oh, we prefer prefer order, guys. You know, let's yeah, yeah. let's uh, let's slow down a little bit. We don't have to do anything right now. Just let Congress handle it, you know. Yeah. No, and, and Dr. King is saying, you know, how how are we supposed to wait, you know, in the face of all this? And, and I would say, we well, don't have to wait. I mean, you, I, nobody's saying that you necessarily have to slow down. For sure, go out and push for what you think is right. The, the key is, is that you may not get it tomorrow. And that's kind of just the way it is. You know what I'm saying? Like real talk, if we're just be, you know, being real with each, I mean, think about the argument that you're making on, on the left there. You're saying that this is entrenched thinking that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. No, it may not roll over for you tomorrow. Mm. And when that happens, you can't allow yourself to get frustrated and impatient mm. and fall into rashness because it's going to hurt your cause in much the same, you know, just like Roe, like we just talked about now, now Roe is, is might go poof, you know, and, and it's because you, you just had to force it through. You had to ram it through. So of course you should push for the things that you believe in to the utmost, but you have to, you have to have the, uh, it's hard to find the right word, but it's, it's not restraint. But you have to have the ability. The may I dare I say civility? Yeah, you have to have the civility to not let yourself fall into rashness. Uh, you know, when when you don't get what you want, and that's because there are other factors at play, right? But the, the thing with Dr. King's letter is, it's 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 his case is very very strong when we're dealing with as close a thing imaginable to an objective good as we can ever get in the civil rights movement. I, I think that's a good point. And, and honestly, I find using Dr. King's words in today's context is, is a little bit insulting because let's be honest, man, 
for all of the bluster of Trump mm-hmm. and all of the things he said, nothing happening in America today is is anywhere near lynchings, segregation. Um, uh, you know, you couldn't you couldn't go to the. I mean, nothing is anywhere near. There aren't signs saying no Negroes allowed. Mm. It's it's not. It's not at that level. And and granted, I, I understand why you think it might get there, but we're not there now. Yeah. Well, at the same time, though, I mean, I, I've, I've seen the argument made, and to a degree, I, I, I agree, that we are talking about, you know, black people being shot by police at an alarming rate, uh, you know, trans people not being able to go to the bathrooms that they choose. You know, that's that's reminiscent of segregation okay. to me. It's, you know, I it's mean, absolutely there, reminiscent. There are things that I, I get it that it's it it matches that tone to a degree, even even though I also agree that when we're talking about if there were signs that straight up said, you know, Latino people cannot eat in this restaurant. Right. Or no trans allowed. Right. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I am not trying to wipe that away because I feel like. Um, no one should be able to ask a trans person for their ID or any person. I don't care if you're trans or not. No, let's yeah. be clear. No one should be asked for ID to enter your bathroom. It sounds, maybe, like, sounds like you believe in a right to privacy, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that's a throwback to that. Yeah. Um, so it's not to, to minimize, to minimize the struggle. Right. Um, God, and it's so hard to say this without falling directly back to Dr. King's letter because anything, anything I said, let's try to pass the law right, yeah. right? I'm, 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 I'm championing order and just, just right. wait. Well, um, but I don't think, I don't think we're at that level. Well, you know? one of the things that we have to recognize is all those things are important. Uh, again, the the trans rights, the the black people redlining and things like that, and the situation that they're in, all those things are important. They are not the only things. There are other considerations. So when we take Dr. King's message, how far out with that does it extend, right? Mm. That's, that's the problem, is that we, we're not going to sit here and rank this interest is more important than this interest. But I am going to tell you that there are two interests that I think are worth considering. I don't, I don't know which one's more important. That's the conversation that we have every week and every day as Americans. But we have to, we have to think, if you're convinced of your own righteousness, is no roadblock tolerable? Uh. Can we not pause at all to discuss this? Uh. Um, are, are we justified just to rule by fiat, kind of like you know the, the Supreme Court? Because what happens is now, if, if our morality... Is the only is the only thing necessary by by which to pass a law? Then we are at the whim of the moral majority. Correct. Well, I remember, you know, not when I was when I was a little kid. That's who was in power, right? Reagan went into office on the moral majority. Now, are Reagan's values what you want to start declaring edicts and, mm. and start saying that this is what we're going to do? And no, we're not going to talk about it because it's the right thing to do. Ah. You always have to remember that damn slippery slope that comes the pendulum, up all the time. And the, and pendulum, the pendulum, pendulum. That, that swings back the other way. I don't really want to see a situation where both sides feel like the only thing left to do is fight, especially in light of progress that, that we have made via mm. legislation, right? So I, I agree, there, there comes a point 
where it's time to pick up the pitchforks and torches. Right. I, I absolutely agree. A hundred percent agree. Um, maybe it's my, my white privilege that keeps me from seeing this as that, mm. but I don't think it is, you know, black people are getting shot at a higher rate, um, than white people. It's true. Mm-hmm. I think the stats show that it's not a huge gap. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about an unsolvable problem either. We've just started talking about um, excessive use of force. Um, I feel like we ought, in order for all people to have a better world, mm-hmm. we ought to be able to to roll back police abuses. Yeah. We ought to be able to find a way to stop the justice system from being racist, right? I And I, I very much, like you just said, um, if we rush into it in, in 10 years, when the pendulum swings back again, you've got court cases on shaky ground that, that can be upended. I, I want to build firm, solid foundation. And I, I understand sometimes that, that, that needs a fight. Well, is not, is not the case that Dr. King was making very much so in the context of that we'd had slavery and then we'd had Jim Crow for for I don't know how many years. Right. Well, we we don't have Jim Crow right now. We might have problems, but we're not a country full of racists the way we were in 1950. So what other options are on the table to us? See, Dr. King wasn't looking at those other options. Right. Dr. King They didn't did not see, have those options. Yeah, Dr. King didn't see the strides that we made. He didn't see the progress that we have made. So, so he's dealing with a, a somewhat fundamentally different situation. I wouldn't even we say talk- fun- somewhat. I, I, think, I think the left is worried about us sliding backwards Yeah. When, when Dr. King was fighting out of the pit, right. right? And the left is trying to keep us from sliding into the pit. So they're very yeah. much different situations. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think that that is what you have to weigh before you take the approach that the left draws from his letter um, because there's no, there's no standards for that approach. I mean, when you're, when you're talking about things that are, that are profound and complex, like human rights, they're going to bump up against other rights down the road. Mm. There are, there are deep and lasting implications. Anytime that we say, you know, for instance, uh, look at the masterpiece cake shop thing. We have the right to religion, Bumping up against gay yep. rights. That's right. You know, so you're going to have these conflicting things that happen. So what is the criteria where you get to just throw everything off and say, well, I'm going to impose my will on everyone else because I know best, because that is a very dangerous amount of power to take. I mean, you know, the, when you give somebody that power, I mean, that's, that's like absolute power, man. That's, mm. that's, I don't have to go through checks and balances. I just get to impose my will on you who don't know any better. Yeah, and I'd say, man, C.S. Lewis says, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. And conscience, uh, and that's not that is not at all directed at the left here. <laughs> I'd just like to make that super clear. Um, you know, I'm not saying I don't think C.S. Lewis is saying like, oh, don't 
don't fight for human rights, guys, because it's a moral crusade and yeah. moral crusades are wrong. No, I, I, I use this quote to illustrate your point, hmm. which is that on the opposing side of your morality, um, the same tools may be wielded against you. You are looking at the confluence of authoritarianism and morality when you do that, because we can, we can dress it up. We can call it whatever you want to call it. And, and you can say it's for a good cause. But when you say we don't have to wait, we're going to do what I want to do right now. That's authoritarianism. Mm. And when you feel like you're justified or mob justice. Yeah. Yeah. And when you feel like you have righteousness on your side, that is dangerous. That is real dangerous. Yeah. I kind of see Dr. King's quote here as like a silver bullet or the nuclear option, yeah. if you will. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is we can take his words and apply them to anything we feel morally righteous about. Mm -hmm. um, the key is in weighing when that time comes. And I don't think the nuclear option should ever be off the table. No. Um, you know, I think that silver bullet being in our pocket is a good thing. And that is, that is the people's ultimate check and balance. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about dropping nukes, we've got to be real careful about where, why, and how we're dropping them. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think, you know, that is the overall point to the whole episode is that it would seem like we're on the path that may very well end up with somebody dropping a nuke. There was a point at last week, uh, or during last week, sorry, where I, I said to you, I said, man, if somebody like takes a pot shot at the president tomorrow, this whole thing's coming undone. You know, I mean, that's what it felt like. It, it felt, you know, remember the, uh, the Russian sub story that I told about the guy who just happened to save us from, I felt like that cold war edge of disaster is where we were sitting. And that's, I think ultimately this, this pace, this, this tone and tenor that we've established, if it keeps up, if we keep running at this speed, we guarantee it. Well, one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to get complete and utter apathy. One side is is pretty much just going to give in. Is just going to never completely, happen. Completely roll over. Well, maybe they're ground into submission. But I mean, I, perhaps we start seeing forty percent voter turnout, thirty percent voter turnout. Well, no. See, what I think, and that goes back to the two intellectual class. Because I think what I mean by apathy, you can't keep people that upset at Trump every day. You mm. can't bombard them with news every day before people start to just tune out. You know, just like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what you want me to do. You know, and, ju and just turn the TV off and stop paying attention. The other uh, scenario is, is, yes, it is the nuclear option. It is, you know, fighting in the streets. And, I mean, we've already seen, you know, at, at the inauguration last year, we were burning limos and destroying businesses. And, and you know... Say what you want to say, but I mean, like that's where we're already at. It's congre you know, mm -hmm. the congressional baseball shooting. The the a couple years ago when the the Black Lives Matter guy was mowing down cops. Yeah. He, in fairness, he was not officially with Black Lives Matter, but you know that's what I'm. We've already got a pretty crazy baseline. You've got to stop ratcheting this up, or that's what's going to happen. Right. And I think the question becomes, how do you do that? Right. At the at the, at the end of all our episodes, we like to say, how do you do that? Well, I was fortunate enough, and, and I say that and I mean that. I, I'm so sincere about this. I read a piece by a guy, uh, and his name was Ryan Fazio. 
and it's on Quillet. And we will most certainly have a link to this man's piece in our show notes. But it's entitled, Politics Are Not the Sum of a Person. And it came out this week kind of in response to everything that we've seen. That sounds like flawed messenger material. <laughs> and it, well, it's, it's, it's a lot of things, man. There is a lot of good stuff in this article. I would like to read some, some pretty healthy quotes from it. So here's, here's the first one. Uh, Politics is important, but it is only a means to an end. Human flourishing, or the good life, is the proper end of social life. Government plays but a part in laying the foundation for people to flourish in society. We want a relatively stable and effective regime so that we can be free to pursue better, more satisfying things. We have the space and luxury of pursuing all of them today, even if the political radicals say otherwise. Family and friendship, economic prosperity, scientific and technological progress, medical advances, the arts and entertainment, and much more. There is far more to life than politics. We study it only so we don't have to worry about it very much. We owe it to our forefathers to not allow it to overtake the finer things in life. And that, that's, that's key. I mean, like, politics are the means to the end. Is there, is there an argument in there that, that some of us are so disadvantaged that, that we're removed from those finer things in life? The technological advances? Like, taken, taken as a whole, I honestly believe no. And, and I welcome anybody who would like to come on the show. Feel free to email us and, and make the case. I think that there are people who are experiencing barriers, but I'm saying like as a whole, as, as a society, cause that's, you have to look at it broadly and, and no, I don't, I don't think so. I think things are at a point now where they're not perfect and they're not the best that they can be, but they're better than they ever have. Been. They are better than they ever have been. I think yeah. that's an important a important thing to note. And that's not to say, uh, you got enough. Don't, don't stop fighting. But it is to say, maybe it's not time for the nuclear option. Right. If we've, if we've been slogging through the muck and getting to the top of the mountain, why quit now? Which way are we trending? And I, I, I it's hard to make now that I, yeah, I'll fight that tooth and nail. We are not trending backwards. I will add the caveat that if you take a very narrow view of the last couple of years. And if we allow this not to be the hiccup that time that we accidentally elected the reality storm, we cement all these things that are happening, mm. then yeah, then maybe you can make a really good case for the, the idea that we're turning backwards. But but prior to the last 18 months, the last 18 months, no, we absolutely were not. Thank you. You know? So uh, I also, there, there's another quote in this, like I said, wonderfully well-written piece. Um, he says, there is so much more by which to judge a person than his or her politics. Honesty, thoughtfulness, compassion, judgment, industriousness, prudence, self-control, their interests, aptitudes, personality, piety, and sense of humor. Human virtue is so vital, vast, and multidimensional that it would be foolish to excessively personalize or overemphasize a person's politics. Not to mention, most people don't even spend more than a little time and energy considering politics, so how could it be central to their character? Most people obviously realize these things, but fewer people are acting on it. Shared experience and common ground outside of the politics is key to reminding people of this truth. And I think if you're if you're listening to that quote and you might be waffling on it a little bit, 
Keep in mind that 50% of people in this election did not vote. Mm -hmm. Among those that did, it was a 50-50 split. If you're looking at America on the basis of of Nazi Republicans versus commie uh, leftists, man, there's half that aren't represented. There's a bunch that voted independent, and that leaves a couple of extreme wings, less than than 25% of the population on each side. I don't know what the numbers are. Maybe it's more like 12% on each side. Um, that's a minority, right? So if either of your, if either of your assumptions about each other are correct, at best, you're correct about the minority. Mm -hmm. Um, the other people disagreed so much that they didn't even show up to vote. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and some of it might've been apathy. I mean, I, I look at you and me a year before this show, uh, you and I were leading perfectly normal lives without a firm grasp of postmodernism or dog whistles. We weren't, you know, I mean, sure. Hell, we, I couldn't tell you the name of one Supreme Court decision before yeah, I started this <laughs> show. You know, and that's, and you know, I, I would choose to read about those because they interested me, but it wasn't, it wasn't everyday life. I was able to appreciate those finer things and, and get a much more, you know, broad view of reality. That's the thing. I mean, politics, they, they are important. Uh, and, and, you know, we should definitely pay attention. But at the same time, we, we have to keep that human perspective. Mm. We are losing that human perspective. And I'm going to tell you right now, one of the big reasons is because of Twitter.com. <laughs> and social <laughs> media in general, man. Absolutely. And, and we've talked about it on the show quite a few times, um, you know, how this directly uh, removes elements of humanity mm-hmm. from the picture. I mean, we are distilling our ideas, our outrage, our feelings um, down to 240 characters. Yeah. And that's impossible. And 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 that's not to say everyone's doing it all the time, but no, it's it's millions and millions and millions of us and it's our kids and their noses are right there all day long engaged in this distilled outrage machine. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it is cuz cuz think about it, man. Well, it has it has its own rules, right? And it, it's got its own, you know, set of standards and everything else. When we started doing this show, we had it in our mind that, you know, I was I was like, you know, we should we should jump on Twitter, you know, obviously to promote the show, but yes. we should jump on Twitter so we can keep our finger on the pulse of the conversation that's happening. But it was like a sideshow. It was like, you know, this 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 game over here, this again, that that intellectual argument that's going on. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you right now, this this episode in part exists because you and I lost a little bit of perspective. We, we got trapped in that world where it's just constantly two intellectual classes bickering with each other mm-hmm. every day, day in, night and day, you know, and, and you very quickly begin to think that that's what real life is. And it's not. And I think that happens in a, in a slew of ways, uh, you know, over the course of social media and, and with the news, they make us think that about food. They make us think that about love and all sorts of things. But politics Gets pretty dangerous. Yeah. Because and, and I don't know. think I think we need to rest part of the blame squarely in Trump's lap for this. Trump yeah. is the first president to engage with a population on Twitter. Yeah. And and if anyone's to take criticism, I got a lot to dish out for distilling your the the White House's message. Yeah. Down to 240 characters. <laughs> yeah. And through Twitter. Yeah. Through the like filter of Twitter. Yeah. I'm I'm of the camp that believes that people need to become educated about the system that creates their laws that govern them. Um, 
you can't do that in 240 characters. It is it is the total opposite of that. If I want my president to be writing books yeah. and speeches, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like no, and and describing the reasons uh, for his actions and and weighing the the consequences versus his own morality. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the types of presidents that that we need to be nurturing and and building and creating. And and I'm looking at 2020 and and I don't see any candidates that that can frankly touch a reality star. Yeah. I mean <laughs> well, it, it's it's scary. Yeah. And and the Democrats aren't building those candidates either. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. they're buying into that same outrage machine. Yeah. What does that do for us come 2020? Yeah. Well, I think, again, it it continues to agitate this. I think the lesson that I learned was I used to understand way better that there was bad stuff in the world and that there was good stuff in the world. And and I understood that there was a bit of a balance to that. Like overall, when I when I look at the world, it isn't skewed one way or the other. It, it, It balances out there. There are inequalities. There are equalities. There are achievements. There are setbacks, you know. And I understood that way better before I got involved in that that Twitter grind, you know, <laughs> if you will. And I think one of the things that that I've done to overcome that in the last few days is I've reminded myself that, you know, by and large, people don't turn their neighbors away. You know what I'm saying? Like people don't they they help those in need. I, I can remember any time that you see a disaster, you know, you it, it doesn't matter white, black. Muslim, uh, Asian, it, it doesn't matter. Everyone helps one another. To me, that's who we are. Yes, there's ugliness out there, and there's going to continue to be ugliness out there. But that good is still out there, too. And when I have the outrage machine telling me about the worst things that that side did and the worst thing, in fact, to the point where neither one of them are even really touting their own achievements, they're just telling me, what the awful thing was that the other side did, it's really easy to forget that. And it's really easy to start dehumanizing people. Yeah. Um, in fact, when you're calling people Nazis, you start out dehumanizing them. I mean, if there's if there's one person, one group of people we can't ever humanize, it's it's Nazis. The culture is is there. It's so pervasive. And that's why I think using that, the historical context of, of that label is is so damn dangerous um, because it's not a matter of stepping. It's a lot like we talked about earlier. It's not about stepping towards the pit. It's about putting you in the position of crawling out of the pit, right? Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not worried about dehumanizing people. At this point, we have to humanize the people that you've deemed Nazis. Mm. And that's a lot that's a lot different. That's a different proposition there. No, you're right, but I, I think it it's it's operating on a on a faulty premise. Like not not what you said, but like where that starts from. You said uh, you can't humanize Nazis. The culture like automatically dehumanizes anybody that you'd hit with the Nazi label. I say that that's that's back there where the problem is, because the problem is we want to dehumanize evil because we want to think that we're not capable of it. Mm. You, you have to humanize evil. You have to understand that it's a part of you. It's a part of all of us. And you have to deal with it when you do that. This, this whole thing where we want to win the argument and we want to, it's important for us to score a point or to get across what we're, what we want. It's a lot easier to do 
if you think you couldn't ever possibly hold the view on the other side because it's evil and it's like the Nazi, you know, and now yeah. it, it becomes dehumanized. But when you realize that, you know, uh, for lack of a better term there, but for the grace of God, go I, I could just as easily have held those views and still, for the most part, be the person that I am. That makes it real hard. But that difficulty forces you to confront it it forces you it's it's like daryl davis or, right. or the the lady with the netflix uh documentary it puts it right in your face and now you either got to deal with it and grow or choose to be an asshole evil you know <laughs> evil or yeah. choose to be evil or choose and, to be evil and i think if if anyone's i think we're all losing right now i think on all sides we're we're losing i don't care if you're oppressed or you're in the majority or you're privileged i think I think we're losing. Yeah. Um, the people who are winning are, are Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis converted, you know, 200 KKK members by by approaching them, by breaking bread with them, by sitting down and having meals. The the Grand Wizard of the KKK was coming to Daryl Davis's house by choice at first with a bodyguard and later without for years, mm-hmm. for years. Um, this Netflix documentary. Everyone listening right now, if you don't go watch it, you are doing yourself a disservice because these people are right now showing us exactly how it's done. And, and I don't think anyone on the right or the left is, is approaching those numbers, man. LeBron in the pocket, I'm telling you. <laughs> I think that, that puts a, a pretty nice bow on the episode. And I think without further ado... Uh, we should turn it over to our fact checker extraordinaire and world-class producer, Minzo, to pick us apart on all the numerous things I'm sure that we dropped in this two-hour epic. Expect no compromise here, folks. You know, buddies, every week at the end of the show, I come out here and brutally pick apart sense and theory. Frankly, even I have to admit that at times, I get a bit theatrical with it. Sometimes, though, the situation calls for seriousness, and I agree with Sense and Theory, that events over the last couple weeks demand a sober approach. Last week, all six of you that listened to this podcast, and Theory's mom, of course, sat through an hour of this show without the warm, gentle embrace of a Beanzo segment to console you at the end. I can't imagine the emptiness you must have felt seeing the progress bar inch to the end with nothing but the fella's slapdash outro to help you find closure. There was no one there to tell you. Theory botched the voter turnout numbers for the 2016 election by 5%. No preternatural talent to artfully highlight how he somehow called the White House press secretary Senator Sanders. No ascendant arbiter of actuality to tell that Supreme Court sycophant that Kennedy was appointed in 1987. To make matters worse... These boys knew it and did all they could to rub it in. Why else would Sense compare MS-13 homicide numbers with roller coaster deaths, knowing there's no verifiable record of either? Or shamelessly ignore six years of Barack Obama's presidential tweets? The only other explanation would be that they are the kind of podcast hosts who plan to aggressively recommend their listeners watch Miss Dia Khan's excellent documentary. White right meeting the enemy without bothering to even learn her name.
Clearly, you folks deserve an apology. When you let people down, the right thing to do is man up and tell them you're sorry. So, from the bottom of my heart, I sincerely hope Sense and Theory do that. Fellas, back to you. Well, gee, Beans, thanks for, for really manning up there at the end, but... But no, you know what? That that's cool. Me and Sense apologize, uh, you know, for what happened with last week's episode. Uh, no, man, I'm not apologizing for anything. If anyone should apologize, it's Beans. He left us high and dry last week. We recorded the show in the van, dude. But no, no. See that that flies in the face of what we were just talking about. Like we got to step forward and be mm. the better man. And and I mean, the country has to do that because I'm I'm telling you right now, man, things are hanging by a thread. It's so, it's pretty tough out there. So it's gonna be forever. Or it's just going to go down in flames. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like feast or famine like that. And I, you know, and it's it's going to be a long, hard road to get where we need to get. So, I mean, we're all going to have to come together. Well, you can tell me when it's over, if the high was worth the pain. Well, I, I mean, I'd imagine you'd be there. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose I suppose it'll, it'll all be worth it if we're able to come together and unify the country, you know? I got a long list of ex-lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. You're, you're, you're doing, you're doing Taylor Swift, aren't but you? But I got a blank space, baby, you and I'll the- write your name. <sighs> hey folks, I'm Sense, one half of the Sense of Theory podcast. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening. Uh, it's your time and attention that makes this show worthwhile. Uh, we do the show for you. And our listeners, um, I'd ask you to leave a review, good or bad, on iTunes. Uh, Come check us out on the various social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find the links uh, in the description to the show. And uh, if you want to reach out with a comment, uh, joke, uh, funny anecdote, uh, you want to call me an idiot, uh, sensetheorypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks again, folks, and we'll see you next week.